Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skirr, and I will also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the delightful Katrina Fox. Katrina is the founder of Vegan Business Media and provides success tips, resources and inspiration for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Katrina is also the founder of the Vegans Women's Leadership Network, which has since been rebranded as Fevers. Fevers is empowering women to become leaders and achieve their goals through collaboration and training provided via the network. Here at Vegan FTA, we can testify to it being a fantastic resource for vegan women and fortunately their partners or spouses like myself. Jackie has flourished as a leader, an activist and an individual thanks to Katrina. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did and be sure to check out our social media pages at Vegan FTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find the series in video format. Katrina, it is an absolute pleasure to have you with us today speaking from Australia. Um, For all our viewers around the world, could you please tell us a little about who you are and what you do? Yes, yeah, certainly. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, not so far across the uh, the ocean. So uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, very briefly, uh, my name is Katrina Fox. My background is jur- professional background is journalism. I've been a journalist for nearly twenty years. I've been involved in various types of activism, including feminism, LGBTIQ issues, and of course animal rights, uh, which I'm incredibly passionate about. So my journey to veganism uh, definitely comes through um, animal rights activism which I've been involved with since the probably that in the mid 80s actually in the UK where I'm originally from uh, in London and then I've been in Sydney since 2001 and I've been involved in various types of activism uh, throughout the years from direct activism protesting through to writing in my journalism career and more recently in the past few years helping vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Oh, that's wonderful. So um, on the show, we've had uh, creative arts activists, hospitality activists, outreach activists, all sorts. Would you sort of say you're more um, a business activist now? I guess potentially. I, I mean, I certainly think that anyone running a vegan business, that is a form of activism. And I've said that quite a lot. Um, so I guess that particular area is really kind of helping vegan business owners and entrepreneurs to raise the profile of their brands. So that's kind of where the majority of my activism is focused. Um, I'm also um, just launching a new initiative called the Vegan Women's Leadership Network, which is to help and empower vegan women to become leaders in their field, Whatever that is so they could be in business they could be working as an employee they could be working for NGOs um, so but yeah it's kind of helping empower people helping other vegans I guess whether they're they're in business or, or doing other things to uh, to be known you know so that people uh, can get to know more about veganism as a, a lifestyle and as a philosophy so that's kind of where my activism is focused uh, on the, at the moment and speaking at, at veg fests and other events as well. Oh, that's awesome. I love like everything that you do is just so positive and, and you know, I can't wait to, to talk more about, you know, all, all the various projects that you've been involved in. But um, I mean, like me, you were vegetarian for a long time before going vegan. I also grew up in the UK and, you know, grew up on the, 
the crispy pancakes and those kind of things, Linda McCartney yeah. burgers. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, my mum was dead against it at the time. So, yeah, but that right. I sort of, uh, my vegetarian diet wasn't the best back then. But, um, yeah, would you mind, I love your story of how you went vegan. And, um, you know, would you be able to share the story of how a, a sandwich unexpectedly caused you to make the switch of all things? Yeah, sure. I mean, see, I went vegetarian without actually knowing what it was at the age of 11. So I was actually very young. And this was a long time ago and it was you know I grew up in a working class uh, council flat in an, an area just outside of South London called Dartford which is famous only for its tunnel and, and nothing else um, and yeah I kind of ate the same kinds of things like you know my parents you know were, were not happy about it and I would think have things like cheesy pancakes you know a lot of the processed uh, foods and what have you um, in terms of my journey to veganism yeah that came a lot later um, in the mid 90s uh, around about uh, 1996 and I was on an animal rights demonstration, actually. I was uh, going up on a coach from London to a big protest. It was a national protest. There were coaches coming in from all over the country um, against a, a farm that bred kittens for vivisection. So it got a lot of publicity. There was an ad adverts for it in the big issue and everything. So it was really big. So I went up and I was on this coach on the way to this demonstration. I was sitting next to a lovely school teacher called Kay. And I pulled out, you know, after the, you know, the journey, I, I pulled out, you know, a sandwich. I said, well, would you like a sandwich? I said, it's a Marmite and cheese sandwich. And Marmite, for anyone international listeners, it's kind of like a yeast spread. Um, in Australia, it's the equivalent is Vegemite. And I'm not sure what the American or other equivalents are, but basically it's a savory spread and cheese sandwich. And she said, oh, no, I'm vegan. I said, oh, I said, well, what's that? I said, look, I said, the cheese does not have any animal rennet in it. It's vegetarian cheese. And then she explained to me what a vegan was and how the dairy, you know, all the stuff that happened in the dairy industry, that it's not all happy cows willingly giving their milk, but it was actually a terribly cruel industry in which female cows have their reproductive systems hijacked, their babies stolen. And my jaw just, I was absolutely horrified. Um, and, um, you know, and she explained, you know, what, what vegan was and what vegan meant. So, of course, I put that sandwich back. Luckily for me, I had a spare set of sandwiches, um, hummus and tomato. So they were fine. They were automatically vegan. So I, I didn't eat the Marmite and cheese sandwiches. And as soon as I got home, I remember this was pre-internet, I um, sent off for my animal-free shopper guide from the UK Vegan Society. So it's this little booklet that they sent you through the post. And it basically listed all these products that you would never think of that had some kind of animal product in like matches for example and again my jaw dropped and I was I felt really guilty I thought why did I not know this because I'd been vegetarian for a long time and I remember feeling really quite pleased with myself you know talking about you know not eating animals etc you know not eating meat whilst wearing my leather boots um, and I, I was just horrified to thought how and I was outside I was doing animal rights demos in the late 80s how I missed the vegan memo back then I don't know I was outside fast food chains and vivisection labs at that time and somehow an anti-fur chemical, you know, all of that in the late 80s. But I don't know, somehow the vegan memo didn't get to me. So I, I did feel a bit guilty. I was like, how did I not know this? I pretty much went vegan straight away. I mean, obviously, you know, I had to, you know, uh, replace things like the shoes, etc. a little bit slower. But I did it as pretty much as fast as I could. And certainly food-wise, I remember saying to my partner, Tracy, because I, I was responsible for doing the shopping, I said, right, I said, I'm vegan. This is why I'm not eating cheese anymore. 
um, if you want cheese, you'll have to get your own. I remember her saying, oh my gosh, you know, because, you know, she loved cheese. We both loved cheese. She had a house in the south of France. So, you know, we'd go to France and have all these lovely cheese and everything, you know, when we trying to find vegetarian cheese in France at that time was hard, let alone vegan cheese. And the vegan cheeses in the UK at that time tasted like rubber. So, you know, it was pretty, um, it was a bit stressful. And it took me, you know, it, at that time, it took me about three times as long to do the shopping because I would be there with my little booklet looking because I was eating a lot of processed foods you know checking all the packets but once I got into a routine and I figured out right which products I knew were vegan you know very quickly um you know that that sorted itself out but um yeah it was definitely an interesting journey and I'm forever grateful to Kay lovely school teacher for um you know for explaining to me what veganism was and for doing it in such a lovely way because I was on an animal rights demo she could and I pulled out a sandwich you know with dairy in it you know she could have reacted badly and said how dare you you know you know pulling out this oppressive sandwich you know what I mean but she didn't do any of that she just explained really calmly and politely and I noticed she did that with when on the vivisection anti-vivisection demo she would always you know chat with members of the public in a really nice gentle positive educational way um um, so yeah, I'm forever grateful to her for bringing me into veganism, which is one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> I think it's so wonderful. Um, I just love hearing the stories like that, where just a simple conversation has just opened someone's mind and eyes up so so big. It's just um, it's so wonderful, and um, the whole um, approach that she took of being, you know, sort of that non-judgmental thing, not grabbing you by the ear and dragging you off the bus, you know. Exactly. And, um, <laughs> yeah, just being so open and, um, yeah, very positive about it. You know, do you feel that's a very important um, mannerism to go forward with? Because it, it obviously worked for you, you know, having that non-judgmental, non-pushy sort of thing. And um, do you believe it's, it's something important that we should be approaching more people with that just openness? I do yes and I try to remember that and I, I don't always remember but I try to remember that myself because most of us weren't born vegan now fortunately there are now young people who have been literally vegan from birth which is wonderful but for people of my generation and you know a, a couple you know before that and certainly after that you know we weren't born vegan we didn't know um and I think you know back to even when I was vegetarian you know I thought oh, I'm really you know eth so ethical you know, I'm not eating any meat. My cheese is vegetarian. You know, I'm really, you know, uh, cool kind of thing. But I was wearing leather and I was justifying that. Like, oh, well, it's not part of the, you know, it's not a separate industry. It's a byproduct. It would go to waste. And, it, you know, I, you justify things. And so I think we've got to try and remember that we were all at a place where we didn't know. Um, I know it can get frustrating when we then educate people and then they still don't, um, you know, decide to immediately stop, you know, consuming animal products. And I, I know I can get frustrated around that. But I, I do think that more people respond to the carrot than the stick. Um, and you never know when someone will make a change, even the most a person who you would uh, most unlikely person like people who are former hunters uh, or you know former rodeo people or Howard Lyman former dairy farmers who have that wake-up call and and I think the more open you can be to people so that if they are curious they're more likely to come to you and ask a question if they know that you're friendly and open rather than if they know that you're going to rant at them because they haven't yet you know, gone vegan. So I do think that approach is a good one. Now, I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, we don't 
uh, you know, put posts up that are, you know, showing people, and you know, what's going on and that can be quite forthright occasionally. But I think if you're, for example, your social media or your interactions are, you know, constantly just kind of angry and ranting, um, I don't think that necessarily, I think people, a lot of people will switch off to that. Whereas if they know that you're more friendly and approachable, then I think that can be good. And also you're showing off how fabulous veganism can be. You know, I love my glitter and sparkle and bling. And so I, I will often wear that and glam up a bit because I want people to see that vegans come in all shapes and sizes from all walks of life. Um, and it's just about kind of demystifying it and yeah, just be approachable so that, that people can go, oh, okay, I, I'd like to know a bit more about that. Tell me more. Um, and I think they're more likely to do that if you're friendly, you know, quite a friendly and positive kind of person. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, um, we're cookbook authors, uh, vegan cookbook authors over here. And, and we found, you know, through our sharing our own journey ourselves and always being positive and look at our food, look at what we're making. You know, um, we've sold so many cookbooks to non-vegans because, you know, they're really interested in our food. That looks great. What is it? I want to try it out. You know, yeah. not being this thing that, oh, no, only certain people can do. So, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I love how you know, so many authors, um, interviews that, that we've heard you speak in, you can kind of casually drop the line about um, being taken in by the dairy industry. Um, when sharing your story, you know, like you say, the happy cows, the facade of it all. And um, the huge majority of people that we've spoken to, like you and like me, have gone vegetarian first and stayed that way for, for quite a long time before going vegan. Um, looking back on it with the expertise that you have now, what are some of the marketing tricks that you feel, you know, keep people like us at bay for so long rather than being curious and, and sort of questioning? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's a mix of, like you say, the marketing tactics of the billion dollar uh, meat and dairy and animal exploitation industries and also a certain amount, I think, of cognitive dissonance on on our part. And I mean, as as humans, because you know, we kind of don't necessarily want to work too hard. Like we want convenience. We like convenience. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, we can almost, you know, be happy staying in the dark. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily true of everybody. And I, I think certainly in terms of the dairy industry, I mean, that was a real shock for me. Um, and certainly I know if I'd have known the truth about the dairy industry at a much younger age, I would have stopped dairy as well. And I think particularly for me being involved in the feminism movement, the dairy industry in particular, I, I feel even probably more strongly about because, you know, the dairy cows end up in being killed anyway after they've um, you know finished with their usefulness for the dairy industry but for me as a feminist it was shocking to to hear that and I think it is it's literally those clever campaigns you know they can afford to spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on television advertising which particularly back in the day uh, you know, was the main way that, that people got their, their information. Um, and, you know, they would mislead people with, you know, happy cows in fields and willingly giving their milk away. None of this, you know, babies stolen, you know, forced insemination, etc. So, um, and I think, you know, advertisers have done that for so long. It was funny, I was talking to my partner Tracy yesterday because she was making me a hot chocolate, obviously a vegan one. And she suddenly started singing hot chocolate, drinking chocolate. And I said, where does that come from? We both went, oh, Cadbury you know and it's like they get you when you're younger these little jingles like beans means high all of these little things you know that uh you know I'm 54 now and like they, this sort of stuff was I can still remember the Milky Bar tune uh kid song from when I was about four or five so I think they've been very clever traditional advertisers over the years of you know 
portraying their products in a, in a positive light, like, you know, you'll feel great if you have this. Um, and they're still at it. You know, they're, I think they're using social media to do that. But I think we've got a bit more of a, we're starting to get a bit more of a level playing field now with social media and more independent um, websites, blogs, uh, and media platforms to give people a different perspective. But yeah, definitely, um, you know, do more research, I guess I would encourage people to do, particularly anything around animal products and animal consumption. Really do your research and find out what's really happening behind the scenes, not just what the advertiser is telling you. There's um, another common sort of ploy that I think um, you and I both share is um, it's normally another one aimed at children, but that whole confectionery at the counter and um, the whole thing of, you know, I, hopefully this might help some um, people who are transitioning, but you, you came up with your little trick, uh, Twix trick, you know. <laughs> I used to love a Twix as well back in the day, and yeah, or a Mars bar. And um, yeah, when you're going up to, for me, it's going to the post office. So often, you know, you see the, the chocolate bars there. And, you know, especially when you transition, it's sort of like, oh, you know, they're, they're trying to feed you that again. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, your, your trick you came came up with to try and you know get rid of that sort of craving that urge yeah definitely so yeah one of my favorite uh, confectionery items was a british twix and apparently there is an american twix and it's different that's why i've said british twix but it's basically these two kind of um, stick things with caramel and chocolate and they were, they were lovely and so obviously when i went vegan i was like oh bugger you know i can't have a twix and i remember being at the petrol station or the gas station for american viewers and i went to pay and of course there's all the, the sweets and everything of course there's a twix and i thought oh i really fancy a twix and what i did was in my mind i reminded myself and i got an image in my mind of a cow forcibly impregnated um and her baby being stolen and her bleating uh, mooing rather not bleating mooing in grief which is what cows do when their babies are stolen and also i remembered that apparently in dairy there's a small amount of infected pus and blood that's allowed to go in so i had this kind of image in my mind and then all of a sudden i looked at that twix and then i saw what was in my mind my urge my, i was like oh, don't want that definitely don't want that um, and that was it. So now whenever I see any kind of, you know, mainstream chocolate, like regular dairy chocolate or anything, I automatically just have that image, um, you know, of the cow in my mind, plus a little bit of the blood and pus um, thing. And um, I have absolutely no interest in it uh, at all. So I found that to be really useful because often what we're seeing, it's an emotional reaction. Like I saw the Twix and my immediate reaction was remembering Ooh, how it tastes and how nice it was. So then when I was able to replace that with the reality of, of how it was created, the association became very different and it became easy to say no to it. Um, now, of course, if someone brings out, and I wish they would, a vegan version of a British Twix, I've been waiting 24 years for this, um, and that's at the, um, the counter, I'll happily buy it <laughs> as a naughty treat. So, um, yeah, but that, that's what worked for me is kind of like, is just looking at something and, and just creating another association. So if you're a visual person, you might see uh, something. If you're more of a kinesthetic person, perhaps you might uh, feel like the cow would feel, you know, being, um, um, you know, forcibly impregnated and having a baby stolen. Or the sound, if you're more of an audio, um, what's the word? Uh, auditory person um, perhaps you might hear the cries of grief so I think there's it's it's just a way a very simple and quick way of just reassociating 
um, with, uh, with animal products. Thank you so much for that. Hopefully that'll help some of the folks out there transition or just even us, you know, waiting on the vegan version. For us living in New Zealand, they keep on bringing in the supermarkets, now all the British chocolates and the international are. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Why now? Why didn't you do it before? I know, um, certainly. I mean, it's such a great way of looking at it, isn't it? And um, I mean, the wonderful Dr. Michael Klepper, he was the one that got me early on because I, I was a big cheese fanatic, you know, and um, and one of the first uh, things that I watched, I think was like Forks Over Knives or Cowspiracy or something where he said that, you know, milk and cheese is, is baby calf growth fluid, you know, full of yes. hormones. Yeah. And that from that moment on, I feel sick if I see, you know, a, a block of cheese or anything, because I just look at it. And from that moment on, it just became yellow hormone filled goop. Oh, you know, it's just, yeah yeah so once you have that in your mind but I, I think that's a brilliant you know that really your trick really pulls the uh the emotional you know side of it and and the reality and really affirms those beliefs so yeah fantastic um on your website you state that your um mission is vegan world domination which is wonderful where animals are no longer exploited abused commodified or killed for human consumption um you became a journalist around the same time you went vegan and um you know, back in the 90s, things must have been incredibly different back then. How did you go about incorporating your beliefs into your writing? Yeah, it was certainly very different. But you know, when people say that, and it's true, look, 24 years ago, it was difficult. But I also like to remind people that there have been, there are vegans who have been vegan, people who have been vegan for much longer than me. There's the wonderful British marathon runner, Fiona Oates, who's been vegan for 45 years and is breaking world records and only has one kneecap. I also got the pleasure of meeting Arthur Ling, who is the founder of Plamel, which is the UK's um, oldest plant-based milk and uh, chocolate company. Um, and his son, um, Adrian runs it now, but Arthur went vegan in 1927. You know, these are people that, you know, coined the helped to coin the term or, you know, worked with the people like Donald Watson who helped to coin the term back in the 1940s. So I always kind of remind myself that even though I think I had it tough in, in the 90s, there were still all these amazing pioneers before that. But yeah, it was tricky when I would go to Sainsbury's, for example, which is a big um, supermarket chain in the UK, the only choice of milks, plant-based milks, was soya milk sweetened with apple juice or soya milk unsweetened and that was it um so it it was quite tricky and then in terms of my journalism um i'd done a little bit of writing but i kind of formed started to work formally as a journalist i did some journalism training in the mid 90s and then around 96 97 i kind of started working full-time in journalism in my first jobs i was working for I worked for a social housing firm, uh, a magazine, and a personnel HR magazine. Certainly in the HR magazine, I immediately got onto equal opportunities straight away. So I wrote one of the first pieces about trans people's rights in the workplace and LGBTIQ issues. So in the, I couldn't really bring animal rights into those two magazines, but I started write, doing some writing for the vegan magazine. And then over the years, um, I freelanced for various places. Um, I worked for the gay press here in um, Australia and they gave me a magazine to edit, a niche women's magazine. I had a whole page of activism. Of course, I'd have animal rights in every single issue. Sometimes, you know, if it was a gay person like Dan Matthews, who's the vice president of PETA, he had his autobiography out. Um, so I've got, you know, got a full page, you know, in, in the, the magazines there. So I've always tried to incorporate it. And then um, with freelance journalism, particularly opinion pieces, haven't written any 
those really for quite a while now, but I've had pieces in the Sydney Morning Herald, the ABC, News Limited, um, on animal rights activism, on speciesism. So I've just really kind of looked for ways to, to get my writing out there. Um, I was a Forbes contributor for a year between 2017 and 18, and I wrote specifically about vegan and plant-based businesses and that sector. So I just really kind of look for those opportunities and, um, you know, places that were willing to publish and pay. Um, then, yeah, that's kind of how I've, I've gone about that. And then, of course, now, I've, you know, because nowadays we can all be the media, just like you're doing with, with this interview and this video. And I've got my podcast, Vegan Business Talk, uh, where I interview vegan entrepreneurs. So I think it's a mix. I've tried to have a mix of, yeah, getting published in other places, but also putting my own stuff out there as well. Well, thank you for taking those opportunities because every, every single one counts at the end of the day. But, um, like for us personally, um, we've experienced quite a bit of the, the bias and you've talked about that in a lot of previous interviews that uh, the bias we see in the media. For us, we did a, an interview for our cookbook um, with the local rock station and they're big supporters of Meat Stock, um, New Zealand's meat festival, which is quite, quite horrible. But um, Basically, they threw me in there with the wolves because the the um, the producer didn't tell the the ho the presenters uh, that a vegan was coming on board because they never had vegans on there. And basically, we had one person kind of open to it; the other guy was just well, a meathead, to put it politely. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we really witnessed that sort of um, bias because they were really trying to put veganism on the back foot there. Um, on the other hand, though, we have had um, magazines done with North and South out here, Big Farming one, managed to get a vegan article in there. And that was brilliant, you know, people we least expected it from. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about the bias that you've witnessed in the industry and, you know, what most of us will see? Yeah, sure. I mean, and I get what the, the scenario that you've explained. I've had that myself before. I think it was with the ABC here. They brought on a, a cattle farmer onto the call, which they didn't say they were going to. Um, and I've also spoken at uh, last year, I spoke at the Canberra Writers Festival and there was five of us on a panel. I was the only vegan. Um, so I, I think with that, I mean, look, there, ha there has been a lot of bias in the media over years particularly against veganism. But certainly in the past few years, I think probably since about 2014, there's also been a lot more really positive coverage. I've seen it happen in the US, the UK, with Veganuary, of course, you know, they've got the breakfast TV shows. Piers Morgan, notwithstanding, um, you know, they've, they've had, you know, really good guests on to, to put forth the positive side of veganism. Uh, so, yeah, I think since about 2014, we have seen a lot more positive uh, media coverage, which is great. But still, there's you know going to be a, a bit of backlash. I think with the examples that you mentioned, particularly with mainstream media, um, is try and do as much research as you can beforehand and try and find out as much as you can about what the angle of the story is going to be, who else is going to be a guest on there. Um, and about the show in general and make a, an informed decision about whether it's worth your while going on there. I mean, my argument tends to be is that it can be tricky because with some like TV shows in particular, they can be quite unethical and they can actually edit your responses to make you sound like you're saying something you didn't really want to say or because it's out of context. But on the other hand, if you don't go on there, they will probably do something really negative about veganism anyway. So at least you've got an opportunity to, to put your side across. Um, but I guess, you know, at the end of the day, just try and be 
uh, try expect it. Yeah, so if that does come and they, they put you on the back foot, just remain calm, you know, take a deep breath and remain calm, you know, try not to kind of, you know, get kind of angry because then you're fulfilling the stereotype of the angry vegan. Um, and just, yeah, just uh, stay calm and put your point of view across as best you can. But it can be frustrating, but, um, you know, we've just got to take the, the rough with the smooth, really. Sure. Yeah. I mean, at least at least we're getting out there somehow, you know, yeah, and, and the exactly. message is reaching, reaching somebody. So, um, yeah, no, that's really valuable. Thank you. Um, one of the brilliant pieces that, of advice that we've learned from you is to be proactive with the media. You know, um, we've heard you say about, you know, if you read a negative story um, in the media, get in touch with that publication or that that you know, show and, and offer another to them from a positive angle, which I think is brilliant. But how hard is that to do? Can anybody do that? Or do you need to have a bit of media experience? Or, you know, if there's someone out there who's like, God, that's a load of rubbish. That's not the case at all. You know, I wish they'd do something else on this. You know, can anyone write in with a, with a response and say, you know, I'd like to talk about this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd like to give a shout out to, to a friend of mine in LA called Karen Dawn, who runs something called Dawnwatch, dawnwatch.com. And this is actually a media and animal advocacy media service. And what Karen does is, is she will send out um, some of the highlights of some of the stories that have um, happened in the media, particularly main, her focus is mainly mainstream media. Um, and then she'll say, right, this is a summary of it. If you'd like to write to the editor or write to, to the, 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 the journalist, what have you, here's how you do it. And she gives really nice guidelines so instead of kind of you know ranting at them saying you know like you say replying and saying look this was a load of rubbish you got it all wrong because that will put you know the journalists on the back foot to say you know I read your article I was a little disappointed with x y and z because actually you know then you put what what your viewpoint is uh, I would love it you know would love to see you know another article you know addressing this or something like and sometimes that will be printed as a letter to the editor whether that's in a print paper or whether that's online um so that you can anyone can do that i mean certainly a lot of the people that do that um that are, are, are subscribers to karen's Dormwatch are just regular people um who uh, you know spent that's their main form of advocacy you know we talked about different types of advocacy and that's their main one is to uh, respond to to journalists um uh, you know with a, a kind of a letter to the editor or, or if it's a positive story as well just say oh this is really great i'm so glad that you you covered this because that you know, can encourage a journalist to continue on the subject. In terms of pitching a story, um, you know, obviously, you know, if they've got an opinion piece, opinion page, and you wanted to, to pitch something along those lines, have a look on the website's guidelines, because some of them will have actually have guidelines and a particular email address to send um, to to the opinion section to have it published um, but yeah there's nothing stopping anyone kind of getting in touch and and saying look you know what about this is a, a different angle um, for sure well thank you for that that's uh, some brilliant advice and we'll um, we'll get a link um, dawn watch yeah dawn watch in, in the description of this video so people can get there and uh, find out about that stop the podcast we'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners fevers Fevers is a global leadership community and content hub for vegan, plant-based and plant-powered women committed to lifting each other up. Led by vegan business media's dynamic Katrina Fox, Fevers educates and inspires through online networking, masterclasses, e-courses, meetups and much, much more. Head on over to veganwomensleadershipnetwork.com to learn more. Now back to the podcast. Now, you're someone who's worn many hats. You're an author, a speaker, a journalist. Um, you've got your own podcast. 
and that's just the main name half of it, half a dozen <laughs> of them um what was it that sparked that interest in you um to try and help grow and encourage vegan businesses yeah, so I'd been in, uh, involved in journalism. That's been my career for nearly 20 years, but the media landscape has changed a lot. So <clears throat> I think about four, uh, no, about, yeah, about six years ago, I started hanging out with entrepreneurs, you know, looking for, you know, what else could I maybe do if I wasn't just going to stay and do traditional journalism as a freelance writer. And I started to become quite interested in, in entrepreneurialism. And I had some, I was going to, you know, networking events and I had people coming up saying, well, how do I write a press release? How do I send a pitch to a journalist? Journalist. And I, in my head, I was thinking, hmm, everyone knows that, surely. And then I, was, I thought, well, no, actually, why should they know it? Of course, I know it because I've been a journalist for a long time. So, you know, I started kind of, you know, just helping people out, working with, with people. But I wasn't really feeling that passionate about it because they were just regular business owners, you know, like accountants or what have you. Nothing wrong with accountants, but I'm just saying I didn't really necessarily feel any particular passion about it but um, a friend of mine said to me well who would you ideally like to work with and I said oh vegan business owners definitely um, and so I had the idea and I thought oh well there must be a book you know there must be some books out there about how to start and grow a vegan business so I looked and there was nothing um, you know not even the Americans have done anything so I thought oh that's the universe telling me maybe I should write it. So I had this idea to write a book, which eventually, well, a year later in 2015, became Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, which is basically a how-to guide for anyone, whether they're making products, whether they're offering services, or whether they're running a business of any kind and they want to run it on vegan principles. And it covers things like, you know, how to start up, branding, marketing, PR, systems, staff, etc. And then I interviewed over 60 vegan entrepreneurs and weaved their... Uh, expertise uh, through that because I I just I wanted to, I wanted to learn myself um, as well which I did along the way and I wanted to create something you know a book a how-to guide for aspiring um, vegan business owners and also for those who are already running um, a business there's a lot of really good stuff around marketing and PR so I just wanted yeah to provide a tool um, for to help more people run vegan businesses because like you mentioned my mission is vegan world domination i want all businesses to be by default vegan they don't have so eventually the the word vegan could cut, become redundant because it's so unnecessary because it's like why wouldn't a business be vegan um yeah so that was uh, that's how i kind of did a pivot which i know is the buzzword of 2020 but i kind of did it yeah a few years before that <laughs> No, that was brilliant. It's, um, you know, Vegan Ventures is, it, it explains so much on your website, which of course we'll link to as well, but it, it's just full of such helpful information. You know, it's, it's fantastic. And um, in a previous interview, you know, you've said before that it's so important to make it as easy as possible for people to go vegan. Was this the same when it came to helping to get vegan businesses off the ground, you know, making it as easy as possible for those entrepreneurs? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly all the ones that I spoke to, and as I interviewed over 60 vegan entrepreneurs from all different sectors from across the globe, and, you know, a lot of them would say there are certain key things that people will often get wrong. Um, now, you can't, you know, get everything right and ex or expect to get everything right. Everyone's going to have a learning curve, but there are some key things that you know, there are a lot of people said, oh, I wish I would have known that before I started the business. Um, and so really, it's kind of about, yeah, making it as easy as possible to people, for people to avoid the key mistakes and to try and get as much right as they possibly can. Um, and to, yeah, to not kind of, um, you know, 
uh, have to experience a lot of those pitfalls. So yeah, it's, it was really about, and also a bit of inspiration as well, which is why I, I really wanted to in, include the insights of other entrepreneurs throughout it so that people could see how, you know, certain things had worked, like how certain challenges had come about and how a particular business owner had, had overcome those um, so that people were really kind of equipped to, once they decided they wanted to start a, a business and run it on vegan principles, they would have some kind of base of how to go about things. Well, um, one thing that I noticed, well, even we've done it in the past, is when you get that sort of, um, you just start and you get that brand name and you want to get it out there, you go and you make uh, social media pages because they seem to be a vital tool now in all businesses. And so you get your Facebook page, you get your Instagram page, you get your Twitter page, you get your YouTube page. And so many of us like ourselves, you know, you get overstretched, you know. Um, would you say it's probably better for people starting out to maybe just focus on one or two as opposed to, uh, try to get yourself everywhere before you're anywhere. Yeah, what I think is a good idea is once you've got your brand and you've got your brand name, get the channel itself. So you know, register for it so that you've got the name, um, but you don't necessarily have to be active on all of them at once because that can be really overwhelming, especially if you're trying to, you know, set up your business as well. And particularly, you know, in the beginning, often people are bootstrapping, so the owner is doing kind of you know a lot of the stuff in the business itself and then to have to, to be able you know do social on top of that can be quite overwhelming so my advice is to find out really where are your customers uh, likely to be so for example if you're a food company or a fashion company or some co a, a business where your product is visual then you know obviously places like Instagram and Pinterest may well be the place where you want to um, kick off with see personally I'm not a huge fan I've never used Pinterest and I'm not a huge fan of Instagram Instagram I do use it but I find it a bit of a pain I'm also not a big fan of Twitter but because I've been a journalist I'm, I'm on it um, but I'm mainly um, on uh, my where I focus a lot of my efforts are Facebook and LinkedIn because that's where my clients are that's where my, my potential clients and customers are so I would yeah um, really kind of so it might be uh, YouTube might be for uh, you know work out for, for somebody else depending on the type of business that you're in but yeah don't feel that you have to be on every single platform um, you know we've seen platforms like Snapchat and now TikTok which is coming up and it can be tempting to go oh well I'd better be on that but you've really got to think of it particularly from a business perspective you know is that channel really going to be right for me are a lot of my customers you know going to be on that so I think you have to have a little bit of strategy behind it and sometimes it'd be good, be good to get one or two up and running um, and then you might think oh well okay yeah I think it's probably a good idea for us to be on on here as well you'll see a lot of businesses I've seen a lot of businesses like particularly food businesses they've only got a Facebook page and an Instagram that's it they don't bother with anything else so it's going to depend on on your brand I think you need to know where your customers are and also you know make sure you're kind of quite comfortable and happy being on those platforms yourself if possible. But, you know, at the end of the day, really, if you're running a business and you're going to use social media for business, you've got to be where your customers are. Otherwise, you know, you might as well just be on there for social posting your happy snaps. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, that's great advice. Thank you. Um, we certainly, you know, I think taking on too much puts businesses under so much stress as well. We find ourselves, yeah. you know, we've started up pages and then you end up feeling like you're obligated to be tuning in all the time, you know, Oh my God, I haven't put a post on this for a week. And you know, I've been focusing yeah. on this one. It's better to do something 
to do less and do it well than to try and you know overstretch yourself and not do anything well yeah um yeah. so yeah no that's that's really good to bear in mind one of the uh, other techniques that we've heard you um utilize as well when using social media is the 80 20 rule of posting which is fantastic and i think it's you know so valuable to keep in mind both for for business and for social activism um could you explain that principle to our viewers i will although i will give a little bit of an update so the 80 20 rule which became popular a few years ago on social media is post 80 percent of kind of educational content or inspiring content, entertaining content, and only 20% promotional, i.e. buy my stuff content. Now, it's interesting because I've, I've, I've since seen that some people are saying, oh, that's a little bit outdated now because it can be argued that almost anything you you post could kind of be classed as promotional. So I think it kind of depends on what you classify as a promotional post. So for example, you could have a really interesting, you might have an interview with somebody or a post about someone who's really interesting that's got nothing really to do with your business. But then at the very end, you might weave in a, a sentence or a, a line that says, oh, go to our website for such and such. So the main thrux of the post isn't a sales post, like it's not, here is our latest product, go buy it now you know, which is a very obvious promotional post. But there are ways, I think, that people are starting to kind of weave uh, things in. So, for example, I've got the the, um, uh, the Vegan Women's Leadership Network that I'm doing. So I might put a, a, a post up about, you know, some really amazing vegan um, woman who's doing something really cool. And then at the end, that's what the thrux of the post is. It's inspirational and educational, what have you. But then at the end, I'll put, you know, and you can join the Vegan Women's Leadership Network here. And here's a link. So it's not overtly promotional, but there's still a little bit of promotion in it. So I guess there's a little caveat there. I, I still think that broadly speaking, um, you know, you, that the 80-20 rule is, is probably still appropriate. But I think we've evolved a little bit and there are slightly different uh, ways to do things. I think in the past, promotional posts were seen as literally, here is our thing, buy it. Um, whereas now, I, th I think it's a little bit more subtle. So technically, the ratio might be a little bit different now. But I still think, yeah, you know, you've got to see what works for your audience. Uh, you know, what, what do they like? What do they respond to? I mean, certainly, you don't want to be doing every single social post here's our thing, buy our stuff, buy our stuff, because people will get bored. Um, and I think people do want to see more now, you know, stories about the brand, about the people behind it. Um, you know, they want to be entertained um, or inspired or educated. So I, I do think you definitely need a balance, but don't be afraid to sell. Um, I think that's important. I mean, I know there's an argument that you people don't necessarily tend to make a lot of sales on social media. It's more about building your audience. There's some truth in that, but I also think you, you can't that you can make sales from social media um, certainly on LinkedIn I've I, um, you know that that happens with me quite a lot um, so don't be afraid to tell people who you are and what you do because ultimately you know you, you want to stay in business but you've just got to kind of find out what people want and what they're responding to and mix thanks. it up a bit yeah <laughs> thanks so much for that yeah um, I'd like to add on to that um, for us we use it in our just personal stuff as well and just on your, your home Facebook page, you know, if you do 20% of happy, positive things about vegan, um, or 80% of things happy, positive about vegan, and then have that 20% of, you know, whether that's the graphic post yes, or the, you know, yes. real informative. For me, yeah. I find that's great for not getting rid of all my old friends. And then at the yeah. same time, when I scroll through my feed, I'm not like, 
wow, I'm a depressing git, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I completely agree. I did that. I think in the past, you know, I was posting a lot of like really like full on stuff. And, and, and I think people started to, or some people started to unfollow. And I've actually unfollowed some people who literally just post the most awful graphic stuff and very angry rants. I've had to hide that because I don't want to see that all the time in my views, uh, in my um you know as I'm scrolling through the feed so I think you're right yeah absolutely you know when you put the majority people come to expect the majority of your stuff's going to be you know positive interesting entertaining then every now and then you slip in uh, something more graphic it's more effective because you know you're kind of shocking them out of it and then you go back to your nice positive and then a little bit further down wham and suddenly it's like whoa so yeah I think it, it, it can be quite effective doing that yeah yeah, I, I always like to think of it as a uh, guerrilla veganism, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> striking from the, the distance. But um, for some of our viewers out there, though, they may not be interested in having their own business. You know, they're happy um, doing what they're doing already. So maybe some advice for them um, that you might be able to shed some light on is how they can best support these vegan businesses. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's several ways. I mean, one, obviously, if you if you want to buy, if you need need or want to buy something go with the vegan business first if you can um if you can't afford to buy from you know any particular vegan businesses one really good way is to well there's two things two ways one is to share their business on social media so just go oh hey i really love this business uh, you know they're doing they do really good stuff so you know maybe share one or two of their posts now and then um but also for example if you've got a birthday or a special occasion coming up and you know you've got family or friends that say, well, what would you like for your birthday or for this occasion? You could say, oh, could you get me a gift certificate for this um, business? So um, I think those are kind of, you know, really good ways. Obviously, yeah, buy from them if and when you can, if it's appropriate. If not, just share about them on, on social media. And that's why I think it comes back to businesses sharing shareable content on social media that isn't just buy our stuff because if you've done a nice interesting video even if it's like a behind the scenes video of how we make our vegan chocolate that's something that people can share on their social and say oh look you know this is how you know they make this vegan chocolate isn't that interesting kind of thing do you see what I mean so I think those are really good ways that you can uh, support vegan businesses yeah no it's great good positive stuff and um you know the, the vegan marketplace is unique and not just when it comes to our ethics either i mean one such um really lovely example that we discovered when uh, new zealand was in lockdown and you know it was really hard to see some of our small vegan business friends you know they were uh, particularly eateries you know they were really struggling and, and worried that they were going to go out of business and, and what happened was you know they all began pulling together and supporting one another and saying to their customers look it's wonderful that you're supporting us but please support these ones as well go and get something from them you know they were sort of doing food that you could pick up at the door outside kind of thing you know yeah, please, yeah. please order from these guys as well please share the love and which was just brilliant you know and now you know they made it through which is just fantastic um it was so great to see and you know hopefully it shouldn't be a one-off so um what's the importance of vegan companies in helping to support and promote one another yeah i think it's really important one of the people i interviewed uh for my book um was seth tibbett from tofurkey and one of the things he said when uh, i think i asked him about you know well there's all these other companies coming up now and again how uh, now how are you 
standing out. And one of the things he says that a rising tide lifts or lifts all boats. So what he meant by that is that the, it makes the category stronger. When more players come into the the category, it actually makes the category stronger. Whether it's plant-based meat, plant-based cheese, etc. Um, so I think rather than seeing your so-called competition uh, uh, as competition, you see them as collaborators. Um, certainly, we've seen I've seen here in Australia um, and also in the US companies that have done something similar where they, they've come together, uh, particularly if they've got complementary products, um, they've actually offered special deals. Uh, you know, they've collaborated so that when, you know, you can go and pick up um, one of this company's products, but then they, you can also pick up this other company's products, you know, and order it as like a pack, for example. Um, so certainly seeing you know, quite a lot of those collaborations, uh, which I think come quite naturally to vegan businesses because we're on a broader mission. Yes, of course, when you're running a business, you've got to make a profit for it to be successful. But we, we you know, we're on that kind of higher mission. So I think it is really important. There was, for example, there was a um, three companies that were like vegan shoe uh, yeah, vegan shoe companies and accessories. And th they were all technically what you would class as in competition. And they did this thing where they chipped in to buy a stall at an event and then uh, they took turns in staffing the stall. And, but they were promoting, you know, all of, they had all of their, their products on there. Um, and that was really good because it kept the cost of the stall down, which was great because they could all just put in, I think it was three of them. So they each paid a third. And then they took turns to, you know, be there answering customers' questions. Um, and that worked really well. It was such a win-win-win um, for everyone. So, yeah, I think it's very important. Collaboration. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Such like, a cool idea. Hopefully some of the business owners out there will uh, be thinking about who they can be working with yeah. uh, now. So, um, for the, we've been vegan almost, what, three, coming up four years now. And um, we've just seen an absolute explosion in vegan products. Although when we started out, um, we are in an area where tofu was sort of exotic. Uh, the <laughs> Southland of New Zealand, but um, you know, there's so many different vegan on, um, entrepreneurs rising at the moment. So many different enterprises. Um, are there any sort of tips for some of these folks, you know, to come out in these emerging markets and be um, be a bit more unique to stand out against the competition? Or yeah. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is important because, like we said, you know, you're no longer the only vegan cheese in town, or you know, you're no longer the only vegan chocolate or or, or meat, a vegan meat in town. So you have got to kind of start to stand out a bit. Um, I mean, but if you think about it, I mean, if you look at something like cheese, I mean, the dairy aisles are just full of all these different, you know, types of cheese and obviously we want the vegan version of that um so i think just try and be as innovative as possible um you know experiment if it's food experiment with tastes if it's fashion experiment with looks i will just put a personal call out now there needs to be way more vegan glitter and sparkle um in fashion it's sorely lacking it's my you know a, a sticking point for me i've been saying this for a long time but yeah try and be as innovative as possible i think in in terms of food we're certainly starting to see more niche down so we're seeing vegan Italian vegan Mexican vegan Indian um, and I think we'll see more of that um, and um, yeah you, you've just got to kind of have that point of difference share about who you are don't be afraid as a founder to let people know who you are on your about page I know on a lot of vegan business owners websites you know the about page there's nothing about that well who's behind it people want to know that nowadays you can't be hide behind your brand any longer um so yeah just see what's out there and then see where how can i contribute to this market or to this sector to this category 
um, and have some kind of point of difference. It could be your packaging, it could be um, you know, your messaging, or it could be a taste or a flavor or a texture, um, all of those things. But yeah, it is important to, to figure out what your point of difference is gonna be. It's so interesting. It's such an exciting time to be vegan. You know, we're just yes. growing so fast. It's fantastic. And, um, you know, we've been touching here on some business tips, which is, you know, I've already learned so much from, from those already. But however, the real wealth of information um, lies in the books that you've written and the courses you provide. I mean, your website alone, veganbusinessmedia.com, we'll make sure that we link to that, um, contains some fantastic resources. There's so much in there. What are some of the goodies that people can find and learn about on your website? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so there's plenty of blog posts with anything from, I've got actually one of the most popular posts is how to find an investor for your vegan business. So what I've done is I've got a list of vegan and vegan friendly investors um, and how to contact them um, and how to pitch them um, on the website. Um, there's articles about um, a few media and PR tips. Um, there's a few trends um, articles. Some of those are republished from when I wrote for Forbes. Um, how to there's speaker tips so if you're you know wanting to become a public speaker how to get testimonials for your vegan business um, so there's quite a lot of that on there there's video interviews that I've done with people uh, you know vegan business leaders uh, there's link to the podcast there the podcast is also available on iTunes Google Play Spotify and all those other places where you can get podcasts um, so that's all available for free um, the book um, obviously is available on Amazon as a paperback or the ebook you can buy it anywhere including from my site and then I've got vegan vegans and the limelight which is my 12 month um, online PR uh, course and group coaching program where I teach people uh, teach vegan entrepreneurs authors creatives coaches etc how to get media coverage um, and that's been that's very um, enjoyable to do I've um, got a, a particular business in Canada actually who are originally from the UK but they're in in Canada in a, a ski resort and uh, they've just like embraced the the techniques and the course they've been featured in Forbes and their local media and are just you know getting a lot of uh, publicity so I do that and I do one-on-one -on -one consults um, coaching and um, yeah and then there's the vegan women's leadership network that I'm launching in the next week or two so yeah lots lots of stuff out there available depending on where you're at in your your particular journey but there's certainly a lot of free resources at veganbusinessmedia.com as well as the book which is just 20 dollars or something yeah no it's awesome and you know so well worth it is is you know masses of information in there and you know thank you so much for, for everything that you do to to you know get all this information up and out there um yeah you've been talking about the the vegan woman's leadership network um, so this is a global ethical movement. No, it's not. <laughs> Veganism is a global ethical movement. The, the Vegan Women's Leadership Network is a global ethical leadership membership community for vegan women. And, you know, this is this sounds right up my alley. This is um, sounds so excited and I can't wait to learn more about it myself. But what does it entail and who can benefit from, you know, this awesome latest initiative? Yeah, thank you. It's um, it's quite new. So I actually did a pre-launch at the beginning of March. So this was kind of right in the midst, just when the COVID-19 panic hit. And I kind of thought, is this going to be the right time to pre-launch something like this? But I put it out there with a special founding members offer for a one-year membership, just to generate interest. And this is actually a useful tip for anyone wanting to start a vegan business, because it's do your market research, find out, is there a market for your product? So before I kind of, you know, built anything or, you know, 
you know, did anything with it. I just kind of put it out there. I created a, a landing page, a sales page, put it out there and said, look, this is what I'm thinking. If there's enough interest by the end of April, if I've got enough women to have joined at this special offer by the end of April, then we'll go ahead with it. So by the end of April, you know, it came about, yes, proof of concept. So I've just been busy beavering away behind the scenes with the front facing website, the membership portal. Um, we've got our first virtual meetups just for founding members um, at the end of this week. Um, and then uh, once it launches, there'll be regular virtual meetups and um, there'll be online uh, live webinar trainings and different areas of leadership, personal development, professional development, basically again, providing tools for for vegan women uh, regardless of their professional background we've got 160 women at the moment at the time of this interview from literally across the globe um, which is really exciting and um, some are working uh, you know quite high up in the corporate world others are working at NGOs others are entrepreneurs and business owners so it's a real mix um, and it's really just to yeah provide networking and connection as well as uh, resources and training for vegan women to help them become leaders, whatever that looks like for them in whatever field um, that they're in. So we are at the very beginning um, at the moment. So obviously we're gonna be you know, building those resources as we go, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to get that off the ground. Oh, I'm excited to check it out as well. I'm being hard about it. I feel like I'm hogging all the questions here, love. So. <laughs> no, I really wanted to, to check that out. And um, yeah, definitely interested in being a part of that. I have to ask, what is it, because this is not the only person that has, that has said the same to us, but what is it about vegan women? You know, why are there so many of us active in the movement? Um, here in New Zealand, for example, you know, there are some fantastic advocates who are men and activists as well. But, you know, the really strong characters, the real driving forces um, are almost all women. Why is that, do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I know it's like with the, with the animal rights movement, I think in general, there are, a, I think that the statistics from what anecdotal studies may have been done is that the, there's a higher percentage of women, um, you know, involved in this. But it's been great to see men embracing this. And, you know, particularly now with social media, you know, some of the guys... Are, are coming out and dispelling a lot of those myths and of course the movie Game Changers did that as well um, so I, I, I don't know I mean I don't like to stereotype in terms of gender because you know I know there's an argument oh women are more caring or, or what have you I don't know whether it's that I think it's you know not necessarily nature you know it's the whole nature versus nurture but um, I, I don't know I just I guess that women just they, they have a I'm not going to even say you know women tend to be more compassionate but maybe we're a little bit more in or we've been taught to be a little bit more in tune with our compassion and with our emotions than men have traditionally been because men are told to you know be very stalwart and you know meat is masculine you know, there's all these kind of stereotypes that I think have, have come about but I think we're, we're starting to see that um, you know, disappear now or you know, to be more of a balance. But um, yeah, certainly look, there's some amazing vegan women leaders and I think they're not always front and centre. I think a lot of women, particularly in animal rights and probably all social justice movements actually and in veganism, a lot of them are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes and I'm sure of course there are men and, and non-binary people, etc. doing all of that behind the scenes. But I, I, I think that it's time for more vegan women, I think, to come out of the shadows and find their voices and... Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for, for the network to really help women, uh, vegan women leaders to do that. Thank you so much for making the network. And even for me as a bloke, I'm excited to see what, what comes of it, you know, and um, 
I'm sure if Jackie gets involved, uh, hopefully I'll be learning from it too. Excellent, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Is there any other projects that you've got on the burner at the moment that you wanted us to talk about? Um, no, just a couple of partnerships I'll be announcing that are um, in line with uh, with the Leadership Network. Um, we're partnering with a major UK event, um, which are bringing their events online for this year because of uh, you know the whole pandemic situation. So um, no, really, I'm just kind of yeah focusing on doing what I'm doing, you know, helping vegan business owners and entrepreneurs to raise their profile. Uh, getting the network um, off the ground and collaboration. I mean, I, I, that's been at the beginning of 2020. I said one of my key words for 2020 is collaboration. And I mean, who knew? None of us knew how 2020 was going to turn out. Here in Australia, we had the bushfires, then we had the COVID 19, and then obviously, you know, in the US, etc., we've had all the uh, issues around uh, racial injustice come to the fore, which is fantastic. But it's certainly been an unexpected 2020. But it's, uh, the word collaboration is just, I think, so, so key. Um, so I'm, yeah, just really looking to, to do more of that instead of a lot of, because obviously on social media, it can be very divisive. People have got their opinions and we've seen people unfriending each other left, right and center because they even vegan, you know, amongst vegans, I found it really sad. You know, people are unfriending each other because they disagree over certain things. And it's like, wow, now more than ever, uh, you know, we've got a chance to really try and transform our societies, you know, moving away from animal agriculture and animal exploitation um, that, we need to just try and be the best version of ourselves that we can. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of my aim. And I think it, that's only going to happen when we collaborate with each other. We can all do our own thing, which is awesome. But we've also, I think, got to really collaborate and help to lift each other up. Because at the end of the day, our mission is the same. It's, you know, a kinder world, a kinder and equitable world for all beings, people, animals and planet. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, you know, very well said. And um, we really look forward to, to, you know, seeing all of the projects that you've got going at the moment. And I'm not quite sure when you sleep um, or if your <laughs> mind ever stops with everything that you've going on. But, you know, of all your amazing accomplishments, and there are so many, um, you know, is there anyone in particular that you're most proud of? Oh, gosh. It's a difficult one because it, it changes, you know, as we, we get older and do different things. Um, I do remember being quite proud of getting, I wrote an article for the ABC here, which is the national broadcaster for their website. Uh, and it was about speciesism. This was back in 2014. And I was really pleased to have got an article about speciesism in a mainstream uh, you know, on a ma very mainstream website, and I won a Voiceless Media Award for that, so that was really nice. And I think probably one of the other things, it's not necessarily relating to, again, it, to, to animal stuff, but I, I wrote an article for the Sydney Morning Herald um, about a friend of mine who identifies as non-binary, and I used the pronouns Z and Zia instead of he, her, and I said, can you please not change this? And they didn't, and I thought that was quite, you know, call for a mainstream newspaper to use kind of words that they would never they've never used before um but really you know i mean it really for me i'd say that the most happy i am is when people either come up to me or they send me a message saying well i've been following you for a little while i'm now vegan that to me is priceless you know it's just brilliant i'm just so happy about that so you know i think if, if you know i'm part of the the greater soup or consciousness that you know is helping more and more people to become vegan to be kinder to each other and to other animals you know that makes me very happy it's awesome you've gone on to create many of your own sandwich moments in other people hopefully <laughs>
No, um, we've, we've touched on the names throughout this episode, but can we just uh, recap for our followers where we can keep up with you, keep up to date with all, uh, all your projects and um, yeah, where we can find out more of your brilliant knowledge? Oh, thank you. The main website would be veganbusinessmedia.com um, and there's a link there to the Vegan Women's Leadership Network and to all the other stuff that I do. And then on social media, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Katrina Fox or Katrina Fox Vegan, I think I am on Instagram. Um, but yeah, veganbusinessmedia.com has got links to all of those. So that's probably the main place. Thank you so much for that. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we link them as well so people can find it even easier. But yeah, we thank cannot you. thank you enough for all your brilliant uh, advice through this. And I feel like I should have been writing notes as I was going through it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome. And, you know, one of the great things that we've discovered through, uh, you know, this whole pandemic and lockdown and, you know, finding new things to do. I've discovered podcasts in a big way. And so, you know, that's something else that, that our viewers can uh, definitely learn from you as well as your wonderful podcast. And there's all links to that on the site too. So oh, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so glad you reached out and I love what you're doing. You know, you've got a really good audience, a large audience, and I, I love that you're taking the initiative and doing things like this. And I appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope you have found it informative and entertaining. I want to give a quick reminder that the Vegan Women's Leadership Network has now rebranded to Vivas since the recording of this episode. To learn more about Katrina's work, check out veganbusinessmedia.com and join the Vivas Network. Once again, be sure to follow us on social media platforms for future releases. This has been Vegan FTA. Vegan for the animals.